Mark. Hello. Hi. Um, really good to have you in Cardiff. I actually started following you on Twitter, um, and then I unfollowed you for some reason, and I really did think that you were a very young photographer. Oh, right. I probably didn't read the about bit on your page, but looking at your work, and I was really intrigued and um, liked the sort of contrasty black and white nature of it all um, and the visceral nature of uh, the stuff you were shooting. Um, how long did it take you to find your voice? And that sounds really cheesy, you know, but how long did it's it take good. you to find your voice as a photographer? That's an interesting question. I think I lost my voice or visual language about halfway through the last 20 years when I started photographing the protest stuff. I think at the beginning in the mid 90s, you know, the surfers, skaters in South New Jersey on the East Coast, all that stuff. Then back in um, a little bit in the later 90s, back in London, with kind of the queer alternative scene, shooting on a mixture of black and white and colour film. I had a studio in um, Limehouse, Darkroom. We used to hand print the colour prints, you know, all of that. I definitely had a style, definitely had a visual language. And I think I've definitely got that now. <laughs> uh, but when I kind of spent eight years documenting political protest, I think I lost it a little bit. I was shooting more for news. I was shooting more for the, you know, there and then filing it and getting it to the desks. I don't also don't think I was particularly good at it at first, uh, covering political protest. Uh, there's a lot better yeah, people. In what, in what sense do you, do you not think you were good enough for shooting? I remember being interviewed by a magazine about the youth culture stuff and saying, um, you're a political person, why isn't your work political? And I, I, I was saying, well, my work is political, it's skaters, it's punk, it's surfers, of course it's political, but they don't, but you're really political, you're really left wing. And it, it kind of seeped in my consciousness. And um, I thought, well, maybe I'll start looking at political protest. And I started doing that. And then at the very beginning of it, I just, um, I look at those pictures now and I'm horrified, but I got better <laughs> over time. And I think towards the end of it, particularly like with the Millbank stuff and all of that, I think I kind of got into the really good groove and I was doing really, really good pictures. I was, I was proud of those pictures, <laughs> but I, I still didn't feel I'd really quite got what I wanted. And when I sort of moved away from that after eight years, I kind of went back to where I started really. And that was skateboarding, youth culture, then the graffiti work, the queer scenes, all of that. And somewhere along the line, it was um, moving back into black and white. And it's kind of the Japanese photographers and the, the, the blacks are really black. Uh, yes and really dark and heavy and mm. my designer and the printers hate me <laughs> uh, for that yeah. uh, you know the paper dust uh, yes. on the on the zines I mean every every zine before it leaves my place is checked by me and I, I throw them away if there's um, you know even if a slight out of alignment because the pictures go across one picture goes across two pages so even just you know a fraction of a millimeter white line will jump out because the blacks are so black um, I, I, it, it works for me. Basically a brave decision to opt out of that news uh, element and go for something that you wanted to do. Was there a sort of seminal moment? Uh, was there a sort of a road to Damascus moment when you decided, ah, no, I'm not doing what I want to do? Really? I mean, there's a mixture of different things that happened that um, led me to that decision. I think there's the economics of it, the freelance photographers, uh, shooting news or public disorder, public order work. Um, you know, the way the structure of the industry is now with, uh, particularly with the agencies 
and you know every newspaper will have the, the subscription deals. They've already bought the picture before they've they, they've they've got it. Why would they pay you know a few hundred pounds to a freelancer? Mm. Um, it would have to be particularly different and better. Um, I mean, there was um, a couple things. There was uh, the amount of times I was assaulted by the police didn't help. Uh, taking up cases against the police. I'm proud of all the stuff we did about photographers' rights and all of that. That was really good. But I had really got to a point where I kind of wanted out of that world. Um, but it was covering um, the Millbank rights with them and the um, Conservative government, or the coalition government had uh, increased student fees. And, you know, it was a very hard day photographing, um, you know, uh, the Tory HQ getting smashed up. I'm really proud of the pictures I got that day. And there's a particular picture um, that a number of photographers got. Um, and that picture was on the front page of every newspaper the next day. And the Guardian um, uh, critics wrote about how it was a semi-all amazing poignant picture and I agree it, I know but it wasn't my picture I, I was standing next to the guy who got that picture but I was kind of thinking after that day um, what am I doing you know why am I here why have I uh, put myself through all of this um, to not make any sales and uh, risk limb and life maybe and and I also even though I was I think I was a better photographer of covering political protests by then I was I I, 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 I won out did you feel protected by your camera at all during protests? And <laughs> <laughs> Depends. Um, sometimes you're a target because of your camera. Yeah. Um, so uh, a target by both sides. Both sides, multiple sides. You know, I photographed a number of the English Defence League protests. Some of them are right-wing nationalists. Some of them are neo-Nazis, um, and they would go after the cameras. I mean, I had one particular time when a cam- my camera was smashed into my face by a protester. That protester got a police caution for it. But um, in 2006, I was hospitalised by the police. I successfully sued them um, and did that again in 2008. So, yeah. um, so um, I think you are a target sometimes. Yeah. Don McCullen said, he said something on Radio 4 the other day that he thought photojournalism was dead. There's, there's no photojournalism anymore. That uh, because access is, cons- is limited to what you can do. I mean, he spent some time in Syria. He went to Palmyra and had a look at Palmyra. Mm. Couldn't, he took one shot of Palmyra um, because there were um, soldiers telling him that he couldn't go any further, couldn't do any more. Uh, and that sort of restriction, uh, I suppose, is, it, is, that, is, it, is that part of what's happening to us as a society that everything is being clamped down and being sanitized um, directly or indirectly? Is that true or is, do, you, do you think that is um, uh, something that's happening? It's a good question. I mean, I don't think photojournalism is dead because there's a lot of photojournalists and photojournalism imagery that gets made. Yeah. Um, I think the photojournalists that, say, live in the West Bank or in Gaza, they wouldn't say that their photojournalism is dead. No. And, uh, and those photographers, Palestinians who are providing content to Getty and mm. AP and AFP, I'm sure, and then we see that, that, that imagery in newspapers or on, on TV screens and we're informed. Mm. Um, I think, you know, and there's still an economic system within photojournalism to, to, to fund that to a point. Yes. Obviously, it has changed dramatically even in my short period of, you know, 20 years. Yeah. Um, obviously, Don McCullen's obviously got a longer um, period of looking at, at it and... Um, Nostalgia is a tricky thing at the best of time. It is indeed. Um, So there is photojournalism. There is good photojournalism. There's great photojournalists. But the world has changed. You know, there is Instagram. Kodak's dead. You know, the unit cost of a picture is less. 
Um, companies won't fund stories in the way they used to. Freelancers will go off and self-fund the story, take all the risks, do all the insurance to get the story wherever they go and get it and then bring it back and then sell the story. So there's, there's, there's all sorts of things going on. Um, so I think it's a, it's a much more complicated time that we're living in. But then you can kind of put, you can relate that to the generalized, maybe kind of privatization and atomization and neoliberalization of everything. Yes, indeed. You know, from public private space to yeah. um, how um, a pitch editor works on a newspaper that is losing 50 million um, a year. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's quite interesting because if you take. Um, what is called a big camera out in Cardiff, right. you will soon find out where the private spaces are um, <laughs> because they descend on you from, uh, from on high. Um, and uh, you have uh, situations where uh, you ask the uh, guy, well, where is the public space? And he'll say over there, you take one step and you're still shooting the same material. Um, uh, but they get quite upset by, by it's all bizarre, that. bizarre, isn't it? It is very, very bizarre indeed. And Cardiff is um, developing like that. I mean, uh, f for example, the uh, big art centre, the Millennium Centre down in Cardiff, in Cardiff Bay, has little stars dotted all the way around it. And if you shoot within the star, um, you incur the wrath of the Millennium Centre, which is an art centre, and they descend on you and say you are not allowed to take pictures. But if you have a small camera, of course, they think you're a tourist. So, you know, there are sort of ways around um, uh, shooting like that. But um, you're an old punk, really, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> Trouble troublemaker. A troublemaker. Always. Uh, uh, um, well, my, um, my first ever job was uh, a typesetter and layout artist. Right, OK. On a um, uh, left-wing weekly newspaper in the 80s. Right. Called? The Militant. <laughs> yeah, OK. When you worked on Militant and you were seeing, seeing other people's work and uh, disseminating other people's work, what sort of influence did that have on you as a photographer? That's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, yeah, because I was a typesetter and layout artist. And so back then, uh, it was before desktop publishing. So with uh, pencil and ruler and calculator working out from the characters of the art, we were given floppy disks and had the character count of the, pay, of, the, of the words and would work out the column in inches and the M's and point sizes and then go set it on a computer and it go out to a Lightron, Lightron, I can't remember what it was, and it goes through the chemistry, whatever, slap it down, blah, blah, blah. So obviously when you were designing the page, you factored in the picture and the sub-editors would have given you the picture that would, would go in. And um, the militant had its own staff photographer or staff photographers. Um, one of them is Dave Sinclair, who, I'm st I st who I still know. We're Facebook friends. And he's a Liverpool, from Liverpool. And obviously Millicent was rather big in Liverpool. Yeah. And Dave was in Liverpool. And uh, he used to frighten the life out of me, especially if I cropped his pictures in a bad way to fit um, the text. <laughs> and he'd swear at me and throw loads of abuse at me. Um, uh, so I learned a lot how not to crop a photographer's picture badly. Um, because they'd shout at you. Um, but that was all, the, all those Liverpool pictures, all the poll tax pictures, all that kind of stuff. Amazing, amazing archive of working class history of political activism, stuff on the left. You know, for five years I was laying that stuff out. It must have had an effect mm. as for me later, because when I left um, working there, I went to art school. 
and um, and then became a photographer. So it must have all fed in, and it must also feed into how I do the zines and self-publishing because I've I've got an even though I've got a designer that does my stuff, but I've got an eye, mm. and I, I'm very prescriptive in how I want it to work. So you know I know how to lay out a page. Um, but yeah, there was some amazing, amazing photography that came through those years that was vibrant and very, very, very political. And it's nice I'm still friends with him, actually, because yeah. I have a huge respect to him as a photographer. Does that lie in, all that stuff lie in an archive somewhere, Mark? I think he's got it. So I think he's done a couple of books. Right, okay. Um, I think there's a recent one on Liverpool. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that Cafe Royale would like, I think. Mm. Mm. I think that's the, that I think there's so many ma- amazing photographers out there. They've got amazing archives, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And even though I think my road on the protest stuff was rocky at the beginning, I think obviously I, you know, I feel I was better towards the end. But there are photographers that have been doing it a lot longer than me and better than me. Mm. And uh, to get hold of their archives and do something interesting with it would be amazing. Mm. I mean, I think I've always think I think there's always been a bit of a f- photography editor in me somewhere along the line. And I have toyed with the idea of publishing other people's work. Okay. That's something I have thought about uh, in the and past. And what about co- yeah, collaborations as well? Do you, you do collaborations? Do you with other photographers? Or? Um, I have. I mean, um, Brian David Stevens. Yeah. Uh, we did um, the writer's, uh, not the writer's zine, because that was mine, but we did a show down Leak Street on mm. the Waterloo station and because we, we worked on the graffiti stuff early together. Um, that was really good. Brian's a good friend. I mean, we met covering protests, you know, literally covering yeah. protests, and uh, we became friends. Um, so I've done collaborations with him, um, collaborations with the Photocopying Club when we did the Xerox and Destroy show. Uh, Matt Martin, a young photographer, really um, a, a great photographer. The Photocopying Club project that he that he's done is brilliant. Yes, he he creates the Doom Gallery, you know. So. Um, yeah, I think collaboration um, is important. Yeah, I think that's what we lack here in Wales, uh, actually, is this... Um, sometimes well, when we meet people from come from uh, London or photographers in London working, uh, and the vibrancy of a photographic scene, if you like, mm. in London compared to down here is immense, really. And there's a, there's a vast difference. But there's so much here to photograph. I mean, uh, living in Cardiff, I could spend, I don't actually live in Cardiff anymore, but I could spend my whole life photographing City Road in Cardiff and the streets behind City Road because it is an exceptional place with exceptional people in it and uh, exceptional um, things happening all the time in that particular street and graffiti art happening there as well. Right. Uh, you, you ha- th- that's another question I wanted to ask. We've, we've, uh, there's a lot of sort of um, uh, commissioned um, street art, street art. Yeah. and then behind the streets is where you get all the action happening yeah. and that's the interesting places to be yeah street art doesn't really do it for me no so um, yeah. uh, I mean I appreciate creativity and style and there's some great street art out there but um, it is the writers the graffiti writers yeah. I'm more interested in um, I think going back to the, the, the kind of the, 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 how large London is with well, London is just large. Yes. So the, even the, though the photography world is small, yes. obviously compared to Cardiff and London, you know, mm. it's different. I mean, there's the photography scene in London is big enough for you to have people you don't like, <laughs> and have you know, it's that kind of yeah. You know, um, it, it can be complicated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But but at the same time, there's enough people there to collaborate with and work on things yeah. at different times in your lives, and also um, you know, 
meeting up for a coffee and having a chat with people and, and sharing. People, some people, I've found over the years, some people can be really giving and, and really share and help. Mm. Um, and I certainly try and do that. I get photographers email me and uh, I'll, I'll always meet up for a coffee and a chat. Yeah. Um, I, did, I get a lot of emails about zines, people thinking about doing zines and um, or self-publishing. And uh, basically the, the, the coffee shop at the photographer's gallery meet for a coffee, have a chat, with, a chat about it. Yeah. And um, hopefully I, you know, help them think about it. So yeah, pass it on. Pass it on, yeah. And uh, I suppose in this new brave world, I should probably try and think of how to monetize that and turn it into a workshop or a masterclass. But um, I've not done that, but I'm not saying I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Um, going, jumping ahead a little, um, and um, your new project, Vandals, which is... Oh, that's a jump. A, a, a big jump, I know, but I think um, kind of the right time to sort of talk about it. But there was a, there was a programme on telly the other night um, about the Middle Ages and um, uh, an art in the Middle Ages. And it was surprising because there was, uh, um, uh, there was a, a wonderful quote in it about Vandals, which was written in 1663. Uh, definition of a vandal. A vandal is a willful destroyer of anything beautiful, venerable, or worth of preservation. And it went on to say that vandals were wanderers uh, looking for something, looking for something, a lost people. And do you think... It's a brilliant quote. It's a brilliant quote. Off you. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> um, and, um, they, but they were kicked out of Europe, the vandals. And they uh, went to North Africa and then moved along the North African coast and ended up in Carthage and created amazing art. They created uh, sort of, um, of its period, there was sort of um, mosaics, etc., etc. But they were well into art. Now, um, that word vandals has been appropriated by uh, the establishment as being something nasty and evil and bad. Mm. Uh, cool. Now, let's discuss. Discuss. Well, um, the new zine is um, predominantly pictures of a graffiti crew in London who they do a mixture of legal and illegal graffiti. Um, so that's why it's called Vandals, um, mm. a name that they're very happy with. Mm. So obviously um, the kind of establishment state view of vandalism mm. and the idea of using the word, they have, that's one way of using the word. Um, but obviously the subjects of this documentary project are quite happy with the badge of honour of uh, being called vandals mm. and they refer to each other as vandals and the graffiti scene does does that so that's and it, it's a good name and it's a good name for, for the project because it's, it's also an honest representation of how they see themselves but also maybe how people who don't like what they do see them so so are they wanderers in that respect are they uh, I think uh, they might be actually um, when they're wandering over rooftops and over yeah. over over fences uh, wandering the city and particularly with um, where, where my work's going the idea of the neoliberal city the city that's mm. under lockdown the city that's privatized the city that is controlled the city that is under surveillance um, and you have these young men who are disrupting that um, they may have many different reasons why they're doing what they're doing mm. and for me to intellectualize it they may laugh at me I actually have a, um, an academic writing um, a forward for vandals First time I'm ever having a forward in one of my uh, zines. Uh, an urban geographer is going to write 200 words yeah. explaining vandals, so that will be interesting. Yes. But I think writers, graffiti writers, have many reasons why they do what they do. 
and they come from many different types of backgrounds and different age groups and social groups and ethnic groups. Um, but predominantly men, it seems. Yeah, so, um, I mean, that was a question I was going to ask you because um, not exclusively, exclusive, but, not but, exclusively, but not, but predominantly, I would say. Right. Yeah. Why do you think that would be the case? That's a really good question. I don't think I have the answer. I mean, there could be there is kind of a machoism and there's kind of um, but any any kind of description of trying to answer that question will give a disservice to the women that do it. Mm. Um, so I don't want to do that because there are women that do it, but. Uh, um, but I, I like the description of the wanderers, wandering the city, mm. finding, looking for opportunity um, to write your name on a wall. Yeah. And even though it's maybe temporary, I mean, the, the, the hope is maybe it's there for a long time. The hope that is that it's in a position or a place of prominence that can be respected. But obviously things, the city moves and changes, things get painted over, other graffiti tags get painted over the one that's been put up. Obviously with uh, technology and going back to <laughs> photography and how photography's changed, obviously they, they, the, the, the writers photograph their own work and then there's a, there's a documentation of their own work which could be classed as evidence as also <laughs> of their own criminality, if that's how the, as the state would look at it. So. Yeah. And what I'm doing, photographing them doing it's this. It's a criminal act, is well, it? Well, I'm not doing a criminal act, but um, some of them are engaging in what would be seen, would be seen as criminal damage. Um, I'm documenting them doing that. Um, so potentially I'm photographing, providing evidence of that criminality potentially, or alleged criminality, as we're recording. Yeah. But I'm there to document a subculture. I'm trying to understand it. And um, I'm trying to inform the public about this subculture, that it's not just, you know, the, you know not the two-dimensional view of how people see graffiti writers. Do you admire them? That's a really good question and uh, kind of loaded. Yeah, it is very. <laughs> um, and I'm sure uh, uh, the, the lawyers uh, for this project will be wanting me to answer it very, very carefully. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm a documentary photographer. I think what I document is truthful of, of, of what is in front of me. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I'm a sentient being and I am not impartial. I'm a product of my upbringing, my class, yeah. my educational background, and uh, my general interests. So my work is visually polemic, mm. it is a viewpoint, but actually I think that even protects me further, and actually I think it protects the public because they know where I'm coming from. You know, I am a left-wing photographer. Mm. I'm against the neoliberal city. I'm interested in documenting people that are disrupting that. Mm. So there is, there is a politics there. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think the ethics of what I do is very honest. You know, what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to produce is an honest representation of, of this. Mm. I don't think I could get in this close to people if they didn't trust me and mm. didn't understand. I mean, I've never done graffiti myself. I've never got a desire to do graffiti, but I do understand it a lot more than I did before I started photographing yeah. this. And I respect the act of disruption, the act of transgression. Yes. So that's a real roundabout way of trying to maybe saying yes. Did you protest when you were younger? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was, um, yeah, I mean, from the 80s onwards, um, I was involved in political protests. Well, yeah. I, I, um, we're going to jump back a little bit. Back to the, the protest work. Yeah, the protest work and the, uh, and the miners' strike especially. The, uh, and it became, because I kind of lived through all that, I was living in the valleys and um, had connections in West Wales with... Um, 
with miners in West Wales, and um, it was a very strange, strange time to live through. And um, what became apparent was the full-on nature of the uh, the power of the state. Absolutely. And I, the only other time I'd come across this was when I actually sat down in a court of law when the judge stood. Um, we all sat down and to feel the power of the state uh, saying send them down because of contempt of court and all that sort of stuff. It's quite a frightening thing. It really gets the adrenaline pumping, makes your heart pump. But uh, the state today is not so full on. In it, it doesn't. It's not apparent. It's kind of under the surface type of uh, clamping down on people. Are you aware of that? Is that something you've come across? I remember, um, I can't remember where I was, but I was in the countryside somewhere um, a few years back and uh, I felt very free when I got out of the car. I kind of felt very relaxed and I was trying to work out what it was. Mm. And I realized there was no CCTV cameras. <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. And it kind of freaked me out a little bit because it was just like, it was a realization that, you know, living and working in London all my life and um, just about every move you make is recorded in one way or the other. Mm. So that's kind of interesting. I think the British state is quite good. It's reasonably sophisticated mm. in um, repressing free spirit mm. and freedom of expression yeah. um, and a kind of the self-censor aspect. You know, you self-censor your behaviour. Yes. Um, so there's kind of lack of freedom. But I think at times the British state can show its teeth. I think after the, mm. the big riots of a few years back, a message was sent that you're not going to do this again. Um, and you can't oppose that with the damage that, um, you know, you know, it's, you know, it's a cliche, but the bankers did in 2008. You know, the few people were smashing a few windows and stealing some bottles of water are neither here or there. I mean, I'm not, obviously, you know, people that were hurt, obviously. Mm. You know, um, that that's you know un unnecessary, but um, but yeah, you do that kind of the art that it felt like the British state was having a go there. But then obviously, you know, when I was um, covering a protest in 2006 in Parliament Square and um, assaulted by um, police officers and hospitalised, I very much felt a very brutal aspect of the state that day. Mm. But do you think the um, um, uh, the Liverpool um, 96 and the potential for um, officers who were involved in Orgreave to be um, sanctioned in some way, shape or form is going to change anything? I think for the families, I think it, it's important to get that legal redress mm. and if police officers were involved in criminality, they need to go to prison mm. and in Orgreave as well. Mm. Um, but I mean, you can get a Tory Prime Minister getting up and apologising for the, you know, the, the political climate created by one of their heroes or heroines. They're cynical, aren't they? I mean, it's, 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 they're saying what they need to say right now. Um, they wouldn't think twice about repressing a strike or political protest in the future. Being a Londoner is really important to you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's part of my identity. Yeah. Um, a gallery owner recently said, um, I'm, "My work is very London. I'm a, you know, your work is so London." Um, so I was like, "Yeah, give me a show." <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, the zines obviously is uh, as an ongoing uh, mm -hmm. thing with you, and uh, you will pursue it, I guess, forever. I guess we is, is it kind of a thing that lasts Don't a long, long time. To know. Who knows? If my designer dies, I mean, I don't know, I have to find another one. But it, it wasn't a great big plan. 
You know, okay. we, did, we did the first one in 2012, Writers, of the, of the, the first sort of part of the graffiti work. And I never thought there'll be another one or another one or another one or another one. But it's like we just keep on going and doing it. Mm. Um, just the, the pure beauty of having the work presented in that format, you know, having the work, for having that destination to, to the book format. And dare I say, being accepted by the establishment by Tate? Ah, yeah, because I'm a complete and utter sellout. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, well, yeah, I mean, um, Tate Britain putting all of them into the, the, the library collection, yeah. not the collection, it's in the library collection, so yeah. not, not quite there. Yeah. Um, but And also with uh, Milbank and that van, the Cafe Royale book, you know, mm. been in MoMAR in New York. So, yes. yeah, so. You know, I'll be dead, civilization survives, maybe. And um, someone can research these these kind of quirky little um, books, scenes from decades before, and maybe it will be useful to someone. That's kind of cool. Uh, I I mean, uh, going back to sort of um, uh, the vandals thing, uh, theme again, is it's very ephemeral, the art, in a way, isn't it? And I was wondering if you have conversations with the guys about its ephemeral nature. I mean, what do they feel about its ephemeral nature? And what, do they, what, what do you mean by Well, that? I mean, you know, because um, the council will come along, either paint it over or clean it off, and it's gone. It can be gone overnight. Mm. Um, uh, is that important to them, or does that not matter to them, do you think? I think um, if a piece um, is there for a long period of time, obviously that shows a certain amount of respect yeah. Um, yeah. by maybe other writers that the fact that it won't be written over. Right or it's in a position where it's very difficult for an aspect of the state, part of the state, to, to paint it over, to buff it over. Right. Um, but then I think also that their, their self-documentation of their work, yeah. and it goes on a, you know Instagram account, um, and it's out there. So it's a bit like, I mean, it's a bit like installation art. I mean, site-specific installation art, you know, a piece, an installation that goes into a particular space at a particular time, um, and is used in that space, and the only record of it is the, doc- the documentation of that. Yeah. Um, it, it lends itself to that, which is kind of interesting. But I suppose as if they happen to have a documentary photographer documenting it, and documenting them, because mm. obviously I, I'm not particularly documenting what they're painting, I'm documenting them. them. Yeah. But that must be an interesting uh, thing to have. Yeah. And it may be more interesting, you know, 20, 30, 40 years later for them that they can pull that off the shelf. And that yeah. was me when I was whatever age. So, yeah. So you have um, we have a situation where you have a Banksy on a wall mm-hmm. and everybody oh, goes, wow, Banksy on a wall. But one of these guys could equally do something exceptional on a yeah. wall, um, which would be regarded as illegal. Yeah. Um, so what makes Banksy who, who decides that? Banksy is good and their work is not so good. Capitalism. Art market. Simple as. Simple as. And uh, the idea that a judge in a court can decide what is artistic or isn't artistic is, yeah. is, um, is bizarre. Yeah. Um, who's to say? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not a fan of Banksy's work. Um, it's interesting that it's worth so much. Um, and the fact that he, a piece of his goes up, gets put behind perspex and protected, and then they, they, you know, the wall will be removed. And it's you know, but it's the art market. It's capitalism. It's it's you know, somewhere along the line, the added value has been added, and mm. it's 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 
it has, you know, as far as that market is concerned. But the young graffiti writer that's, you know, doing something on a wall that I photographed, it could have as much artistic merit. Well, that's, you know, what is art? I mean, I, I went to art school. I got a degree and a master's in fine art. So maybe I can decide what is art mm. more than a judge. But even then, why would it be down to anyone, you know? Have you ever been tempted to actually make um, moving images? No. No, I'm, I'm quite happy with stills. Okay. Yeah, um, I mean, those moving images, they move and there's all this sound stuff and <laughs> it sounds like a lot more hard work. So uh, I think I'll leave that to the professional filmmakers. <laughs> and the Dullin Project is a really, really interesting project. Uh, you like the Dullin I really do. I, I think that has huge merit. Um, I think it's... Because uh, some people don't. They kind of like, it's just a skate kid, what are you doing? No, not at all. It's uh, it's um, it's about human beings and about a human being, and I think that is huge uh, value, especially over that length of time you intend doing it. And four years into documenting somebody's life uh, for ten years, and you're going to do it for ten years. That's what we agreed. I mean, we'll see if we make it. Yeah. Um, I mean, documents, documenting Dylan Part Two is basically ready to go. Or right, it's just okay. the vandals has kind of got in the way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we, I mean, we actually we're friends now. When we first started, we, um, I knew his sister okay. and she introduced me and he was up for it. Um, but over the time we've become friends. So mm. the, in a way, the way that gets shot now, it's different. You know, we'll meet up and have some food and have a wander around and take some pictures. Mm -hmm. So it, it is a different kind. It's very different for say vandals. Yeah, you yeah, know, of course, it, there's yes. a different kind of relationship. Um, and his life is changing, so therefore documenting other aspects of his life. Yeah. And we'll see where it goes. Yeah. Um, maybe by the end of it, he's not a skater. He'd kill me for saying that, but, <laughs> but that would be kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah. it, it would indeed. Do you, do you, keep, um, do you keep notes of your work, uh, especially on a long project like that? Do you, uh, do you keep a diary of it? Or do you, no, I don't. No, just, okay. no, I don't keep anything like that. Okay. I've got... Um, I actually got a really good memory. Yeah. Oh, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I don't write anything down. I look forward to seeing more of that because I think that's um, yeah my favourite work. Oh, great. You do. I think it's uh, it's fantastic. And the. Um, What's your least favourite of mine? Eh. What's your least favourite? Least favourite of yours. That would be interesting. Um, I. I um, you're just like, oh, I don't get that. <laughs> well, no, I, I was intrigued. Um, I've been intrigued by your work for a long time. And I guess the, the Berlin one I did find a little yeah. difficult. And I was, yeah. Um, I kind of didn't, didn't float my boat very much. Yeah. But um, maybe I don't fully understood its context, maybe. It's true, though. I mean, I've, I've got mixed feelings by it. Because it is literally a two-hour walk around yeah. that particular park in Berlin. Yeah. And um, the pictures aren't as strong. I mean, maybe it was a tactical mistake on my part having a launch of the photographer's gallery and then BJP doing a feature on it. <laughs> and it's kind of like maybe people who didn't know who I was then seeing all this and thinking, God, this works crap. Who's this guy? So are there gatekeepers in uh, the world that we work nah. in? Uh, that uh, Gatekeepers that will allow this sort of work in, but not... Well, I suppose that there are gate. I think by the very nature, there's gatekeepers. I mean, if you've got creators and directors of galleries, they're going to decide what they want. Mm. Um, it's really interesting. Um, Martha Cooper, the great 
the great Martha Cooper mm. who um, photographed all the kind of 70s graffiti mm. in, in, um, in New York had a show at a gallery in East London and I went to a talk that she did and uh, got to meet her and take some pictures and some uh, film director I know is an old graffiti guy who's doing stuff you know so it's, it's already good already great stuff and I really thought the gallery would take a few of the zines and uh, I dropped them off and they held them on they held on for weeks to make a decision the director of the gallery and they came back in the end and said no and it was one of those moments when I really thought I'm really surprised that this particular gallery isn't taking this stuff considering that you've just had Martha Cooper not putting myself up to the same level as her. Mm. Um, I'm a huge fan of her work, of her work. But here is some stuff of London graffiti of private, public, private space. It, why wouldn't you take it? Mm. I have no answer. No, they didn't explain it themselves. They got no obligation to explain themselves. Yes. Um, the irony is this was a small gallery on Brick Lane, you know. But Tate Britain takes it, but they didn't. So I mean, some gatekeepers are nicer than other gatekeepers. Um, why things end up in magazines, why people are hot at this particular moment or particular time. I mean, I don't like going to private views. I don't play the game. I don't do awards, don't enter awards. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I'm i not very good at schmoozing because um, I get kind of intolerant of people. Mm. Um, you know, if I think... So, I'm, I'm allowed to swear in this. Yeah, yeah. Yes, if I think someone's an arsehole, I'm, I'm not going to put any time in to try and ingratiate myself with them. Yeah. I'm just getting on with what I want to do, yes. make what I'm making. Obviously, I'm hoping there's an audience for it and that people will like it and get it and mm. understand it and want to buy it. Yeah. Um, and if some of those are gatekeepers and they can give you more access and more financial stability, then um, all well and good. Is there any area you wouldn't tackle in that sort of subterranean world that, you know, the, the graffiti world? Is there anything... That you think, oh, sure yeah, even that. with vandals, there's been a full stop because I've not documented anything to do with trackside. Um, so, I mean, the British Transport Police are very hot and, in my view, rather repressive. Um, but if the writers I was documenting were, were doing stuff like that on their train lines or tracksides, and if I was photographing that, that would put uh, a huge, great big flashing light on me. Um, and I've consciously decided not to do document that. But it's also there's the ethical and legal questions of if I start trespassing, yeah. um, you know, especially if it's a train track. So I'm also 47, you know, will I be climbing over that, those types of fences? Yes. I mean, there's some fences I can climb over, but there's not those kind of fences. Just, so I, I, I get one more question there, really. I, I, I'm intrigued that you did a lot of writing um, especially for The Guardian, etc. Do you still write? No. No interest? Absolutely no interest. It was a time and it was, a, it was the right time, right place. It was a political protest stuff. It was the assaults on me. It was being put under surveillance by the police because of that. Um, it was all the stuff around Section 44, the Terrorism Act. I'm photographer, not a terrorist. The NUJ stuff I was involved with. Um, so I started doing the communist free pieces for The Guardian, but that's because I was working on an investigation with them. So they were kind of gave me all the communist free stuff to kind of build me up, I think, in a way, build the brand. Um, and then it was, you know, I took, the, I took these stories about surveillance and the environmental activists and all of that, all to The Guardian, got the front pages, the articles, all of that. It was a good couple years of really interesting, amazing work. And I never thought, you know, I would ever be the person that would ever done that, done that kind of stuff. I love the fact that that exists. 
I know my mum loves it that you know the, like, not only did I have a picture credit on the front page but I also had a, a, an article credit on the front page of the Guardian and and the FT um, so it was it's right time right place I mean saying that I, I recently wrote something that was n kind of like a communist free on my own blog about the EU referendum yes um, and that's the, the most recent thing I've ever done where I actually sat down and thought I'm going to write something to, and I did that to try and work out what I was going to do how I'm going to vote um, but it, but when I made that very conscious decision to move away from the protest stuff, all the investigations, all the surveillance stuff, all of that, just to kind of draw the line, move away from it, mm. that's when all the graffiti stuff came, and then all the more back 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 to the skateboarding, mm. back to all the kind of the youth culture, kind of back to where I started really, yeah. but with 20 years experience and 20 years eyes, and hopefully 20 years better photographer. Yeah, that's um, a bit of a circle, really. Isn't yeah, it's it? a circle, and yeah. I feel much more comfortable. I feel much happier mm. um, uh, where I'm at with that. And I, and I also think the work is better. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, and I've got no desire to sit down and write anything, even for money. So. <laughs> Seems a good place to start. Thank yeah. you very much, Mark. Okay, Cheers. thank you. Thank you.